Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. Our guest today is Aaron Ross, and he's the Vice President of Policy and Strategy for the Humane League. And as you can see from the show topic and title, we're going to be talking about uh, the fact that Panda Express just recently committed to sourcing 100% cage-free eggs worldwide. And you might ask yourself, Jill, how do you make a whole show out of that? Well, watch us, because this is a big, big topic, and I'm so glad to have Aaron on the show with us to help us break it down. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Aaron. We're glad to have you. Hi, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here. So in March of this year, Panda Express uh, announced a global cage-free animal welfare policy and committed to source 100% cage-free eggs and egg products for all of its restaurants um, in all of their locations. Help our listeners understand the impact that that policy will have. Well, Panda Express is one of the largest restaurant companies in the world, and they listened to their consumers, and because they did, thousands of hens in its supply chain will no longer spend their lives suffering in battery cages, and battery cages are barren wire cages where egg-laying hens are packed so tightly together that they can barely move an inch, and these are standard practices in the egg industry. And Panda Express is really just the latest company to say no to cages, but they are not alone. To date, over 2,200 major food companies, including over 500 of North America's largest food corporations, have committed to sourcing 100% cage-free eggs. And over half have already completed their transition. So by doing so, they're acknowledging that the bottom line is no longer justification for subjecting animals to extreme cruel confinement. And finally, their decision to eliminate battery cages also encourages their peers, other companies, uh, to do the same. And there are a few stragglers out there, you know, some companies that you would think would do better than this, and I'm happy to get into that uh, more in detail later, but there are some that have failed to address this basic animal welfare issue, and Panda Express is showing these other companies that it's really time to move past this It's time to get rid of these cages. They don't belong in civilized society, just like Jinko jeans or or people who clip Mm -hmm. their fingernails in public. We should just be (laughs) past past this in our history. (laughs) Well, you know, and and that's a... You cracked me up, and that, that's a humorous way of looking at it, but it's exactly right. I mean, there's just things we don't do, and um, <clears throat> organizations like yours are helping us realize the things that we can't see uh, that are going on, that are, uh, you know, we're giving money to companies who perpetuate this. Um, it's got to stop. Now, Aaron, when a company announces a policy like Panda Express, I'm sure that a lot of work has to be done for months, if not years, leading up to us. And I'm, I'm curious, what happens behind the scenes before a company like Panda Express can enact such a policy? Well, first, we reach out to companies. We ask them to open a dialogue. Uh, we send letters and emails and phone calls, et cetera. And when we first started doing this many years ago, we were ignored almost without exception, um, perhaps not surprisingly, 
I mean, we have to remember who we are dealing with. These are major corporations. And what is most important to corporations? Of course, that's profit margin. Exactly. So animal welfare involves some cost and some inconvenience. And companies are often not motivated to do it on their own. So we saw it as our job to provide motivation for these companies. When they would refuse to engage with our polite requests, we were really left with no other choice but to launch significant public campaigns aimed at their brands, and we would start associating them with extreme animal cruelty. And this made our requests not so easy to ignore, and companies started to invite us to their headquarters to meet with them, and shockingly, it actually improved our relationships with them. And I think most realized they did not want to be on the wrong side of a campaign or the wrong side of history, for that matter, and they did not want their customers who care about animal welfare to turn on them. So over time, we built up momentum, and company by company, uh, we did this until we hit a critical mass. And now the dynamic has shifted, where it was once odd to have a cage-free policy. Uh, it's now odd to not have one. But regardless, negotiations with companies can still be intense and delicate, and as you mentioned, they can take weeks, sometimes months, and sometimes even years and occasionally a public pressure campaign is necessitated. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know that some of my listeners will be thinking, Jill, don't go there, um, but we're going to go there. I want to take a step back, and I want you to explain what chickens' lives are like when they're producing eggs in a caged environment and how their lives are different in a cage-free environment. Okay, uh, to understand this, we must first understand chickens. So I'm not sure how much you, you or your audience know about chickens, but they originate from the jungles of Southeast Asia. So they are essentially domesticated jungle fowl. And as such, they have many deeply ingrained instincts and behaviors that are absolutely critical to their well-being. And these include things like perching. You know, in the jungles, chickens would, would perch up high in the trees to escape predators This is where they sleep and rest. Um, They also need to dust bathe. So while rolling around in dirt may not seem like a good way for us to get Mm -hmm. clean, it is how chickens keep their feathers free of mites and lice and other parasites. Uh, They also have a need to peck and scratch. You know, chickens are foragers, so in the wild they scratch and peck the earth with their feet and beaks to feast on grasses and seeds and insects is how they get their food. Uh, they also need to nest. They don't, you know, hens just don't like to lay their eggs just anywhere. They have specific conditions which they prefer. And just like all mammals and virtually every biological creature, you know, they need to stretch and walk and run and jump and play. And in cages, they can do none of these things. Everything important to them and everything that it means to be a chicken is denied, and this causes intense psychological and physiological suffering. I appreciate you, you know, bringing that to our attention. And, and when you're on a, a farm that actually doesn't have cages, how do they do that? Is it just like mayhem, chickens running around? I mean, what, what happens in a chicken's life when they are still part of our food supply and they're creating eggs, but they're in a cage-free environment? How's that different? What does it look like? Yeah, so cage-free environments are, these are still massive systems. 
uh, and they are not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. But chickens do have the ability to roam the totality of the sheds that they're in. They can engage in their natural behaviors like like moving around and just and walking mm-hmm. and stretching their wings. These are all things that they cannot do in cages. So while cage-free is, is not a perfect system and it's no rosy picture, it is one heck of an improvement in the lives and well-being of chickens. And it's a simple, practical step that every company can and should be taking at the bare minimum. So, I mean, I really like to think about it this way. Like if you were sentenced to live the rest of your life inside a bathroom with 10 other people or inside the entire house with a bunch of people, you know, which would you choose? And I think that's quite obvious to most people, which they would choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well put. That's a, that's a great visual. Now, talk to us about what some of the research shows about consumer attitudes regarding animal welfare. Where are we at right now as a society? Um, and talk to us about some of the research that um, helps to illuminate consumer attitudes. Yeah, this is very interesting. There's a lot of research around this. And, and surveys reliably show that the American public cares very deeply about farm animals, believe it or not, and wants them to be protected from suffering. Uh, there was a study actually that was put out by Walmart uh, recently that revealed that 77% of its shoppers were likely to increase their level of trust in a retailer whose policies improved to the treatment of animals in their supply chain, and 66% were more likely to purchase their products. There's another survey in 2020 by the ASPCA, which found that the vast majority, which was 89% of Americans, are concerned about industrial animal agriculture. And they, their concerns cited animal welfare, worker safety, and public health risks as concerns. And that same survey actually found that three-fourths of consumers think that the government should be supporting farmers transitioning to more humane practices. And we also notice this uh, in our work as well. Every time we launch a campaign, the public just takes our side. You know, the public is smart. They get it. They, when they see this suffering, they don't want to support it. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting because, you know, for such a long time, um, people in America and everywhere else in the world were very familiar with how the world around them worked. They knew where their water came from. They knew where their energy came from. They knew where their food came from. And it was very visible. And as a result, um, you know, when people were making choices, it was very educated and informed because they could see how these systems worked. And I think, you know, over the course of the last several decades, couple of generations, some of these things have become so hidden from plain sight that people didn't think about it. Of course, there was nobody incentivizing them for a long time to think about it. And this is just one example of, I think, a a burgeoning movement of bringing some of these vital uh, systems and the way these systems work. And we depend so much on these systems to the forefront. It's happening with food. It's happening with water. It's happening with energy. And once people know where their supplies of these things are coming from and how those systems work, they're beginning to 
you know, engage in a new way. And I think that's very exciting. And organizations like yours, the Humane League, are helping consumers to become enlightened and empowered to do exactly that. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about with Aaron Ross from the Humane League. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. If you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Aaron Ross. He's the Vice President of Policy and Strategy for the Humane League. And headline, we are talking about uh, how Panda Express has just announced um, that a commitment to 100% cage-free eggs and egg products across all their locations. But we're digging into why this is a big deal and some of the other public policy policy uh, things that we should be discussing. And we have the perfect person as our guest today to help us break it down. You know, Aaron, um, current events are clouded with a a lot of things. Uh, There's a lot of big headlines out there, but one of the undercurrent headlines is the bird flu. And uh, we're seeing it, it sweep around the globe. And I'm wondering how bird flu might impact the availability of cage free eggs. Well, disease and contamination just run rampant on factory farms. This is what happens when you cram hundreds of thousands of birds into dark warehouse-like sheds on a single farm. And in terms of bird flu, unfortunately, free-range factory farms are the ones that are affected the most. Free-range is just one type of cage-free system. 
of the birds are not in cages, and they're supposed to have access to the outdoors. But in the U.S., free range does not mean a whole lot. It's poorly regulated. Uh, but most companies that switch to cage-free are not going to free range. They're going from massive battery cage farms to barn systems. In these barn systems, hens are still kept indoors, but they're not in these tiny cramped cages. They can still move around, um, so they're not affected uh, by bird flu quite as much. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. So, you know, we've been praising Panda Express for their commitment to 100% cage-free egg products. But on the flip side, um, there are several, uh, you know, companies that, that are on the, the other side of this. Um, but, but one of the things that's so interesting is the public policy that could drive something that at this point is somewhat voluntary uh, to something that is required because of state laws. Uh, so there's several states in the U.S. that have passed legislation to ban the production and sale of caged eggs. And I'd love for you to spend some time talking about some of those states and their public policy related to this issue. Yeah, there are several states that have banned cages. And this, this list is rapidly growing and now includes California, the United States' largest agricultural state, Oregon, Washington, Michigan, Colorado, Nevada, Utah, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, have all committed to outlawing the use of cages for egg-laying hens. And actually, just this month, Arizona joined them and became the 10th state to not only ban the practice, but also to ensure that all eggs sold in the state are cage-free. And these regulations are promoted by the Arizona Department of Agriculture and guarantee that from now on over 7 million chickens that are laying eggs for the state of Arizona uh, each year will never know the pain and suffering of being confined in tiny mm. cages. That's incredible. I, you know, I live in California and I remember when we passed the, the ban on, on cages and, you know, Fox News had a field day. The hippie state, you know, is all worried about chickens. <laughs> but, you know, in that list that you just gave us, I note that it's a nice purple mix of red and blue states. This is not a partisan issue. People on all sides of the political spectrum um, have a heart and have common sense that this is not good for animals and it's not good for our health either. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I love about the work of the Humane League is that you're asking companies who've publicly pledged to transition to sourcing 100% cage-free eggs to regularly report their progress, even if they haven't reached nirvana, even if they haven't reached their goals yet. Um, just tell us how you're doing. I'd love for you, Aaron, to tell us more about the reports that you receive from participating companies and why this transparency is so important. Sure. Well, the Humane League asks companies who have publicly pledged to transition to sourcing 100% cage-free eggs, like Panda Express, to regularly report on their progress, and not just to us privately. We, we want them to report it publicly, and this is what we ask of them, so that all of their stakeholders, including investors, customers, and their business partners, all have equal access to this information and that they are being transparent and can be held accountable uh, to their own goals uh, that they publicly committed to. And last summer, the Humane League led a study with the Open Wing Alliance where 
we wanted to find out how many companies were actually fulfilling their cage-free promises. And the results were just absolutely astounding and much more positive than we were expecting. We found that 85% of companies with 2020 deadlines, which makes up about half of all existing cage-free commitments, had successfully completed their transition. And another 5% who had not yet met their goals were transparently reporting on their progress. And this is just phenomenal and proof positive that cages are well on their way out. And this is exactly what we want to be seeing. I love hearing that because I'll tell you, you know, when I started Go Green Radio in 2008, there was still this hesitancy on the part of companies to come out and make statements like this is our goal. This is whether it had to do with animal welfare or other environmental goals, because they were afraid of the scrutiny that they would be falling under and that, you know, if they weren't perfect or if they weren't all the way there yet, that they would be uh, somehow penalized by consumers or organizations like the Humane League. And I'm so excited to see that there's been a tremendous shift that people aren't expecting overnight perfection, um, that people are willing to, um, you know, reward companies for trying and really being transparent about it. I think that is a huge step forward from where we were just a few years ago. You know, I know that a lot of our listeners are thinking, okay, we know Panda Express is on board and that's great, but who else? Um, I'd love for you to talk to us about, you know, some other companies that have made meaningful commitments to cage-free egg production. Yeah, I mean, as you just mentioned, not that many years ago, almost no companies had cage-free policies. It was just wasn't on anyone's radar. No companies were doing it. However, that has all changed in the last maybe six to seven years. Uh, we've seen more than 2,200 companies, including over 120 global companies, adopt cage-free policies to end the use of battery cages. And this rapidly growing list includes some of the largest companies in the world, including Burger King, KFC, Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme, you know, manufacturers like Unilever and Nestle, uh, uh, hotels like Hilton and Marriott, food service companies like Sodexo. We're seeing companies from every sector go 100% cage-free. And more recently, we're starting to see companies that set a forward-looking goal. Most of them are around 2025 is their, their deadline that they want to reach. Mm-hmm. Many are starting to make so much progress that they're moving up their deadline and reaching them ahead of schedule. And this includes companies like CVS, who recently put out a report that they're transitioning by 2022 now. And wow. Cheesecake Factory also uh, announced uh, very recently, just last month, that they are also going to reach their 100% K-Tree goal by 2022. Well, and this really speaks to the upshot of work like that you do and other organizations are doing, that you've created such a demand for cage-free eggs that the supply, you know, the suppliers had to respond. So now there is a ready supply of cage-free eggs and that that's a huge win. Um, you know, there's the flip side of this coin <laughs> um, and I, I want to call it out. So Aaron, tell us 
which major restaurant chains are not engaging in the conversation and maybe give us some tips on what consumers can do to encourage them to join the movement. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think this is important to look at. So there are, again, a a few stragglers out there uh, that you would think would be doing better than this and would be joining this movement towards, you know, this shift towards the better treatment of animals. But unfortunately, there are some companies that are not. And these include companies like Five Guys. Now, Five Guys really promotes itself as this modern, hip brand, but they are really falling behind on animal welfare, and they're refusing to take steps to improve the treatment of hens who are raised to lay eggs for their products in, in their massive supply chains. Um, some companies, you know, some global companies like McDonald's have gone cage-free in a number of their markets, but not all of their markets. For instance, McDonald's has uh, refused to do so in Asia. So we have organizations that are part of the Open Wing Alliance, our coalition, who are currently campaigning against McDonald's in Asia to get them to raise the standards in Asia uh, to be equitable with uh, their standards in other parts of the world, such as the U.S., so these restaurants you know, really need to start listening to their customers and to the public by putting a stop to this needless animal abuse that's taking place every day in their own supply chains. And we have many ways that consumers and customers can help, such as joining our Fast Action Network. Happy to dig into that a little more if you like later. Um, for ways to just encourage these companies to stop this abuse. Yeah, we're definitely going to dig into that because I know that our listeners are going to want to get involved. You know, for our listeners who may be kind of new to this issue and may have never considered the welfare of chickens a pressing issue, I mean, you've described to us, you know, what they're going through and what their natural habitat is. But what else can you tell our listeners to help them, you know, care about this issue if they never have before? I mean, I understand. Like, it, it makes sense to me because chickens are not mammals, so they have less expressive faces. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to empathize with them, to be honest. But we need to base our actions off of reason and science, which shows us that chickens have rich inner lives. They can feel pleasure and pain to the same degree as the cats and dogs who we have in our homes. And battery cages are just simply cruel and unnecessary, and no animals should have to spend their lives needlessly suffering inside of them. In fact, if we were to do this to a cat or a dog, if we were to lock them in a tiny cage and leave them in there for two years straight, as we do to egg-laying hens, it would be considered criminal animal cruelty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people can help end this practice, and... We have great ways to do that if they get involved with the Humane League. Well said, Aaron. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, becomes an evolution. As I mentioned before, a lot of people just haven't been thinking about where their food comes from and what's involved in it. And once we begin to to dig into um, what's behind the the egg that we're going to we might color for Easter, which, you know, you know, that 
uh, eat them if you're going to do that. <laughs> Don't waste them. <laughs> you know, um, I think I think it becomes you know, uh, an evolution of not just our minds, but our souls. Um, who do we want to be? What do we want to support with our hard-earned money? And so I appreciate all that you and the Humane League are doing to raise this issue. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, much more with Aaron Ross of the Humane League. So don't go away, folks. More Go Green Radio right after this. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you've tuned in. I'm really excited uh, to have our guest, Aaron Ross, talk to us about the organization behind so much of what we've been talking about. Uh, He works on policy and strategy for the Humane League, and you can check them out at thehumaneleague.org. Their website is amazing. But let's start with the mission and the work. Talk to us about the mission and the work of the Humane League, Aaron. Sure. The the Humane League's mission is, you know, quite concise and and pretty clear. Uh, We exist to end the abuse of animals raised for food. And we really want to fix what we consider to be you know, our broken food system. So we work to effectively end the worst abuses in factory farming. And we do so by securing animal welfare commitments from the world's largest companies, like food service providers, restaurants, food manufacturers, and hospitality leaders. And this helps to change the lives of billions of 
farm animals, and that's billions with a B, that are suffering every day. And institutionally, we work to hold corporations accountable by influencing the world's biggest companies to create and implement welfare policies to abolish the world's worst forms of abuse and reduce the suffering of those animals that are in the system. And we also encourage incorporating plant-based options uh, into the food system as well to help reduce the demand on animal products. Mm-hmm. I feel that coming. I mean, um, you know, I, and I work with a lot of young people in my nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative, and um, regardless of their religious or ethnic backgrounds and, and what their families of origin may you know, view as a normal diet, a lot of these young people are choosing their own path and it includes a lot more plant-based food. And, and it's really exciting to watch them take charge of their, um, you know, their, their purchasing power in, in a word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. I, I, you mentioned in the last segment, the Humane League's Fast Action Network. And I want to give you a chance to tell us more about that. That is a very cool part of the work that you do. Yeah, this is something we're very proud of. So our, our Fast Action Network is a community of dedicated online activists who give just a few minutes of their time each week to take action towards our campaign goals. And by doing so, they directly help to end the abuse of animals raised for food. It is an extremely easy and quick way to help factory farm animals. We have actions that are posted daily that literally takes seconds, often with just the click of a button, you can send a message you know, to some of the largest food companies on earth, just demanding an end to um, a, a cruel practice. And so it's a very, very simple and easy way anyone uh, can really help our campaigns. Mm-hmm. It really is so very simple. And the way that you guys have set it up is just brilliant. I, I love it. It should be a model for a whole lot of other issues as well. Um, I loved reading about the Student Alliance for Animals. Tell us more about that opportunity for people to get involved. Sure. Yeah, our Student Alliance for Animals program brings effective animal activism to colleges and universities across the U.S. And this is very near and dear to our heart. This is where the Humanely got its start doing work on college campuses, and each of our campus organizers get trained in leadership, community building, effective vegetarian outreach, and campaigning, and this enables students to make a difference for animals on their own campuses all across the country while building lifelong leadership skills. So anyone who's interested can visit thehumaneleague.org, and we have information on there on how to get started. I love it because actually it was some of my college interns uh, a couple of summers ago that convinced me to finally not just have a few days of plant-based foods, but to become a vegetarian and move towards veganism. Um, You know, we were talking about other environmental topics like water and energy. um, But when we started talking about food, they kind of looked at me sideways like, Mrs. Buck, (laughs) how can you keep doing this? And I couldn't look in their sweet faces anymore without joining the movement. And I actually ended up uh, becoming a vegetarian on my 50th birthday after a a trip my husband and I took to the farm uh, sanctuary 
that's out in in New York. Um, and it, she was a guest on my radio show a few months prior. And once I got to be around some of the rescued farm animals and learn more about, you know, what they went through in order to produce food for me, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't participate. So um, those those young people, those young leaders are very effective. I have my own personal story <laughs> of how impactful um, they can be. Oh, it's really uh, awesome. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I feel so good. I mean, it's great for my health too. But, you know, one of the things I also looked at, I mean, I went all through your website. I just love it. But the Humane League's volunteer opportunity page seems so highly organized and effective. And I'd love for you to tell us more about that program and what it's like to be a Humane League volunteer. Yeah, so our change makers, as we call them, drive on-the-ground action that makes a real impact in the lives of millions of animals. And, you know, they're involved with our top-level campaigns against the corporations that profit off of the abuse of animals. And they take part in our efforts to grow the plant-based movement by encouraging people in their community, you know, to eat with compassion and take into consideration, you know, the treatment of animals uh, that they're eating. And they receive one-on-one guidance from one of our experienced organizers, and they connect with hundreds of animal activists through the Changemaker Community Center, which is our thriving hub where they'll find tips and resources um, and trainings as well. That's fantastic. I mean, and I know from running a nonprofit organization myself, how much energy it takes to run a volunteer network like that. I mean, it takes staff time and dedication and a strategy. And so I really appreciate all that you all put into making that a successful uh, component. Sure, it does. And yeah, and it, it, at the same time, it's very exhilarating and, and energizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet. Um, you know, one of the things I also appreciate so much about the Humane League is that you report on your progress, just like you expect companies to report on their progress. And I read your Q3 2021 report on your website, and it, it was all great. But there was one part that really stood out to me. I was just astounded by an investigation that your organization did on white striping in supermarkets. Tell us more about that investigation. Yeah, so chicken farming, modern chicken farming is just absolutely horrific. And this was a surprise, even to me, who's been you know, a vegan for over 20 years, have been involved in the animal protection movement deeply. This was shocking, uh, even to me. So mm-hmm. modern chicken farming is a multi-billion dollar industry that raises and kills $9 billion chickens every year in the U.S. alone. So they raise and kill more chickens in the U.S. than there are people on the planet every year. Mm. And in order to maximize profits, these birds are raised, that are raised for meat are selectively bred in order to grow so unnaturally large and at an extremely rapid rate that it results in their, in their bodies just collapsing under their own weight and the vast majority of these chickens develop a disease called white striping. And because they're bred for excruciating fast growth, these chickens can't do anything to avoid it. So white striping causes the meat to have a much higher fat content and lower quality protein levels. So if you look at any, basically any of the boneless, skinless chicken breasts at your local supermarket, I encourage anyone just to go in and look at this uh, yourselves. 
um, you're very likely to find it. And the Humane League did an investigative report visiting grocery stores in various states and found that 99% of chicken packages examined had at least one breast fillet affected by white striping disease. Mm -hmm. And some supermarkets had white striping in 100% of the packages sampled. And all the supermarkets surveyed had white striping disease present in their standard own brand chicken breast packages. And there are a couple worst offenders here um, for white striping disease, and they were Walmart, BJ, and Meyer. Okay. Wow. And, and here's the thing. Until I read this report, I had never heard of white striping disease before. But here's the big question. Do these supermarket chains, the supply chain managers purchasing this chicken, do they know what white striping disease is? You know, I, I'm not sure if the, the purchasing managers would know or not, but this is something that is very... Uh, there's a lot of awareness about this within the industry mm-hmm. itself. So th- this is not an unknown problem, and it's it's just everywhere. I mean, you walk into any supermarket, you will see it. Uh, so I, I mm-hmm. imagine that they should be aware of this. Well, if they weren't before, hopefully they are now with Go Green Radio and us talking about this. But, you know, you mentioned in the last segment, that our food system is broken. And you have a great page on our broken food system on the Humane League's website. I'd like to give you a chance to talk to us about why you say that. How is our food system broken and what can we do to be part of the solution? Yeah, our food system is broken indeed, and and it's in dire need of repair. 94% of animals raised for food products live on factory farms in cruel and unnatural systems. Animals are routinely mutilated without anesthesia. Uh, They're selectively bred to grow so fast that millions of chickens and turkeys die from heart disease. And newborn calves are taken away from their mothers, who are dairy cows, and are always kept pregnant. And at birth, they're taken away, and the mothers can be heard wailing for weeks for their children. And abuse is just common as well. Uh, workers have been found routinely beating animals with metal rods, including already injured birds and baby calves who are kept in crates. And every year, millions of day-old male chicks are suffocated and crushed or, or shredded alive simply because they're of no use to the egg industry. Male chickens don't lay eggs, so they're just discarded. And for many farm animals, the first glimpse of the outside world will be from the truck that transports them to slaughter. You know, and they're confused and exhausted and hungry. And animals from all systems, including factory farms and even free range, end their lives in the same frightening facilities. So factory farming is also one of the biggest environmental disasters in history. And it's time we reverse the direction that we're going in, give animals more space, better conditions, and eat more plant-based food. Wow, Aaron. I mean, I just want to capture that thought in a quote and publish it everywhere. I mean, that's really important for us to understand. And it's a hard truth to face, but it's necessary. We can't be willfully ignorant of this anymore. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, there's more Go Green Radio right after this. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. I really want to give Aaron Ross, our guest, a chance to tell his own story. You know, we're hearing about animal welfare issues that hurt. Um, If this is the first time that you're hearing about it or the first time that you're really giving it some headspace, there's a lot of emotions that come with that. Um, And we can feel betrayed. We can feel pain. Um, we can feel guilt, you know, even if this is the first time that we've heard about it or thought about it and we've been participating. And yet there is a path forward. And I would love for Aaron to tell us his own story about how he learned about what we've been talking about today and how he evolved and changed his own life. So Aaron, lay it on us. Yeah, you know, most people have no idea how the animals eat are treated. And I know I didn't when I was growing up. I knew animals had to die for food, but I had no idea how badly they were treated. In fact, I used to pick on the vegans and vegetarians in my high school. I would chase them around with Slim Jims and flick meat at them during lunch. But <laughs> you know, then one day I saw the footage of factory farming, and I was horrified. This was not what I was taught growing up, and I eat a lot of meat. You know, my my mom is a religious Jew, and my dad is a cowboy. So I had a lot of meat on my table growing up. But I just had no idea that animals were treated uh, this, this badly. And, you know, this is what undercover videos do. They, they take people inside uh, factory farms to expose the reality of our broken food system that we were previously talking about. You know, give them a glimpse into this intentionally hidden industry. You know, and I've, I've gone inside factory farms myself. And what you experience when you do this is it's very difficult to explain. Um, for instance, I remember the first time I went onto a broiler chicken factory farm. Mm-hmm. First, you pull up to the factory farm and it's hidden. It's, beyond, it's behind man-made mounds of dirt, trees. And even if you can see it, the buildings are, barely resemble animal housing. They look more like warehouses. And you're just shocked at how big these windowless buildings are. I mean, they are huge. They just go on forever. And there are many of them. 
And before you even go inside one of the buildings, you are just hit with a wall of ammonia, like a brick to the chest. This is, of course, from the massive amount of of waste that animals are basically living in. But then when you enter the building, you hear what sounds almost like soft screaming. And you turn on a flashlight, and it almost appears to be snowing at first, but you realize it's just the sheer amount of debris, which is like dried feces and bedding floating around in the air. And then you just see this carpet of white as far as the eye can see. And it's moving like the waves do on top of an ocean. And as you walk in, this carpet you know, spreads away from you. And these are the chickens, of course, moving away from you as you walk in. Mm-hmm. But you notice there are pieces of this carpet left behind. And as you get closer, you realize these are the crippled birds who can no longer walk mm-hmm. and have collapsed under their own unnatural weight. And they are trying to drag their heavy bodies away from you on the, on the factory farm floor because they're scared. You realize mm-hmm. this, this is just hell on earth. And undercover investigations just give the public a peek inside, you know, again, this hidden industry. And they have a right to know about this so they can make their own choices. Mm-hmm. And I noticed on your website that um, this is one of the ways that the Humane League measures impact. And I'd love for you to just talk about that a little bit. Like, you know, how do you equate views of these videos with impact? What, what's your thought process behind that? Yeah, just the more the merrier. Again, the more this gets out to the public, the better, because we're not taught this growing up. I wasn't, but these videos are what educated me and and changed my life. And I felt now I can make an educated choice when I go to the grocery store or when I go out to eat. I can choose whether I want to support this system or not. And, And, you know, I personally chose this is not a system that I want to report or support. So getting these videos out to as many people as possible. We know not everyone will change by seeing them, but we we feel it's at least important to educate everyone so they can make their own choices about this. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Now, you know, Aaron, a lot of our listeners are students who want to grow up and have a green job just like you. Um, I'd love for you to give them some advice and, and talk about what you have learned on your journey between the time you were in high school and, and now. What can you tell them that will help them um, find their path to a job just like yours, which is amazing. So kind of give us, give us a little bit of your career bio and, and help us understand some of the lessons learned. Yeah, you know, this may sound cliche, but I think it's the best advice, and that is to follow your heart. I mean, that, that is what I did. I just blindly followed my heart. Mm-hmm. I knew once I learned about these issues, you know, I was always into you know, social justice when I was in high school. I cared a lot about, um, you know, the environment. I did a lot of anti-war activism when when we were invading Iraq. Mm -hmm. Um, I fed the homeless, et cetera. And then, you know, I felt protecting animals, particularly farmed animals, and addressing this factory farm problem was a very neglected area. So I put my focus into it, and, and I started my own organization, and it was very slow going. You know, I made I, was, I made no money <laughs> for <laughs> about 10 years, but I was doing something I really cared about. And you know, I was working construction and, and landscaping uh, so I could have some income, and I would, I would do my activism on the side. Mm-hmm. And slowly it started 
gaining momentum. And I started meeting other groups and other activists. And and eventually I joined up with a sister organization in Philadelphia, which this later became the Humane League. And then we started opening up offices around the country. And then we started opening up offices around the world. And then we started a global coalition that now consists of 80 organizations who all work under a shared mission to end the abuse of chickens. And it's called the Open Wing Alliance, and I'm very, very close to my heart. But this was all because I decided to to just focus all of my energy into this project. And it was hard, and, and it took time. Uh, but now, you know, we're very successful, and we're, and we're changing the food system, and we're repairing and we're ending the abuse of animals. That's a great story, Aaron, And it's very inspirational because, you know, th- th- there's so many young people out there that really do want to put their heart and soul and all of their talent into these issues. And, and your story serves as a tremendous amount of inspiration. You mentioned some of the partner organizations that you work with. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about those organizations and, and why partnership is so vital to the work you do. Yeah, so when we were expanding, which was internationally, which was back in 2015, uh, you know, we opened up offices in Mexico and in the UK and Japan. And while these are key strategic areas, we quickly realized that we could not and should not be doing this work on our own. And instead of endlessly opening up new offices around the world, we decided to build a coalition of existing animal protection organizations that were already doing their own powerful work. And they knew the cultures much better than we ever could. They, are, they already had networks on the ground. So in 2016, we founded the Open Wing Alliance, bringing together all of these groups and really for the first time uniting the worldwide farm animal protection movement. And, you know, we are in over 60 countries across six continents everywhere from Brazil to South Africa to Taiwan, to Eastern Europe, and beyond. And we all work together under a single shared mission. And this unity gives us power to aggressively and unapologetically pressure big corporations to end the cruelest practices in factory farming. And, for instance, the Open Wing Alliance launched uh, global campaigns against five companies this year already, four of which have already committed to eliminating cages following I love it, our campaigns. I just love what you do. And I thank you. And I thank the Humane League for all that you're doing. I want our listeners to check out the humaneleague.org. You know, thank you so much for being with us. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.